Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. It says that their witness in every village that they went to is these people who are turning the world on their head are here also. Before we get on to the word today, I needed to share this next portion of today's service because I want to tell you that we're not the type of people that are skirting problems. We're not saying, oh no, here's a problem. We're going, listen to me, Jesus allowed for us to go through, go through in incredible fiery furnaces for the three Jewish boys. They went right in the center of that fiery oven and they were not the Bible says not even a tinge. Their hair wasn't even, even slightly marred. You guys know what fire does to hair. I remember when we were about uh, seven, eight, and nine, we went camping with our parents on an on a, on a RV, and it was cold at night in Texas, and they turned on the oven all night long so that they would heat up the... And my sister happened to go by the oven. You know what happened, right? She looked like Michael Jackson in the Pepsi commercial. She just lit on fire. I mean, her hair went... Phew! And they got the permanent uh, perm, and, and that's what fire does. But listen to me. When you're in the, in the purpose of God, when you're right in the middle of a fiery oven, and you're surrounded by his presence, you can sing the MC Hammer song. What is it? Can't touch this. You know, can't touch it. You're not going to touch a child of God that is standing in God's presence. Now, uh, five days before Christmas, go like this, five days. You're preparing for Christmas. You're ready to give. You're picking out gifts. You're picking out toys. You're picking out your wrapping gifts. Uh, a, person, a, a friend of ours, um, Pastor Levi Lusco, who is a pastor, I believe it's in Wyoming, Montana, uh, you know, in the upper regions of the Northwest. And guess what? His five-year-old little girl died five days before Christmas. And when you see the devastation of that loss, you got to say, you know something? His life is wrecked forever. And guess what? Not a single hair tinged by the trial and by this thing. I want you to hear it from his own mouth. So let's go ahead and watch this. A couple of days ago, he was invited to Greg Laurie's church in California. And this was his testimony as he lost his five-year-old princess um, in, in a very powerful manner. Um, he's, he's sustained in the faith and in the walk with the Lord. Let's watch this real quickly. And you've all heard the recent story, the tragic story, of a little Lenya Lusco, age five, who was called home to heaven, uh, also in December. And uh, Levi, who's spoken here many times, uh, his heart is broken along with his wife, Jenny. This is the hardest thing they've ever gone through. Uh, they're grieving, they're hurting, but they're also trusting and they're hoping and I was really impressed that Levi got up in front of his congregation there in Montana, a Fresh Life Church, and gave his message on Christmas only three days after Lenya was called home to heaven. And uh, he was actually scheduled to be here last Sunday to speak to us, but for obvious reasons, he wasn't able to come. Well, he's here in California right now and uh, just taking some time off in mourning, being with his family. And he said, you know, I had a message I wanted to share 
uh, last Sunday, and I would still like to share it. I said, you're saying you want to like speak still? He goes, I really do. And I thought, well, listen, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Would you like to hear what Levi has to say today? <laughs> Levi, come on up. All right. So, um, first of all, I just want to say what a what a what a joy it is to get a worship with you guys. And having just heard that word, it's just so so refreshing for us to to be ministered to. And and uh, I want to greet you in in Riverside and the internet as well. All right. There's like a, a small animal on the stage. <laughs> I don't think there really is when I just heard it. But um, um, you know. When I was praying about what to come share with you guys um, last weekend when we were getting ready, the, the moment Greg asked me to come preach, you know, knowing it was right, right before the year was about to begin, God laid a real specific verse on my heart, and I don't want to take a lot of your time, but I definitely want to just have the chance just to, to, to give you this verse, because I feel like it was something that God legitimately wanted you guys to hear going into a, a new year, 2013, and, um, you know, this, this whole thing has been just obviously uh, being blindsided. Um, you don't plan for something like this. I, I brought a picture. This is Linya right here. Um, she honestly, um, she loves this church, Harvest. She loves both campuses. Being in, in Riverside, uh, her and my older daughter, Olivia, they call it just Greg's church. Uh, Greg, we're going to Greg's church. Which one? The one with the big bookstore or the one closer to Disneyland or, or the one with the baseball stadium in it because they thought that the Harvest Crusade was one of the campuses too. And um, this was her coming down with me, just her and I. I brought her one time, just her and I. I think we did one of the weekends. And, and um, you know, she, she died with no, um, no time for us to prepare, no time for us to get ready, no time for us to, um, to, to say goodbye. Just, um, and, uh, and five days before Christmas, um, you know, Jenny, uh, Jenny was wrapping Christmas presents uh, when, when everything went, happened, and she wasn't sick. It was just, it was just such a, a freak thing. And, and, uh, and yet, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, in it all, in, in the most difficult, most horrific nightmare we could ever dream up for ourselves, our, our anchor has held fast, that we are hurting, but we have hope. I want to tell you that faith works, and I want to tell you that though we miss her fiercely, we trust God fully. In our theology, which was formed in the sunshine, we believe it even in the shade, even in the difficulty of night. And the worst thing we could go through, God has been with us, and he'll be with you in your dark days as well. I want to tell you that. And, uh, and the verse that God gave me for you guys going into this new year was Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. You can just jot that down. I'll read it to you. You can look it up on, on your own time. And... Uh, David is speaking. He says this. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I love this verse because, he, well, first, first of all, he starts off by saying one thing, and that's easy for me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. So one thing, I'm like, I can get that. I can't get seven things. I can get one thing. Uh, one thing I, I, I ask. 
And I love the one thing statements in the Bible. It's a great study if you look through them. You see Mary and Martha. Jesus says, one thing is needed to Martha who's distracted. You look at the blind man who's been healed, and everyone's like, well, is Jesus a sinner? And he says, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. I love Paul. The last time I actually came and preached here, we talked about how Paul said, one thing I do. I forget what's behind me, and I run like a, with the heart of a tiger, the eyes of a dove, running towards all that God has for me that we should run looking to fulfill all of our potential to get through every open door of opportunity and leave nothing undone. Just leave it out there, full A game every single time. And uh, I love that. And, and to hear David, I got one thing. What's it, David? What's your one thing? He says, one thing I have asked of God, and that will I seek. Meaning it's not just wishful thinking. I'm actually going to fight to make my, my intention a reality. So one thing I desire, that's what I'm going for. One thing I'm planning on, and I'm going to do it by God's grace. What? What is it, David, that you want so much? I want to dwell in God's house all the days of my life. Now, just a few chapters earlier in Psalm 23, David already told us what he believed was going to happen to him when he left this earth. What did he say in Psalm 23, verse 6? After I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I believe, he said, I will dwell in God's house forever. That's the promise of heaven. That's really good news. Because 17 days ago, I tried to give CPR to my five-year-old daughter, and she died in my arms. But I'm going to tell you something. Though I could not hold her any longer, I believe that the angels took her to be with Jesus in heaven. I believe that right now, she's more alive than she's ever been in her entire life. And I believe that we will see her again. We have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I believe that right now, my daughter is dwelling in the house of the Lord and will forever, just like David. But what gives me such a smile on my face, though Jenny and I weren't perfect parents and still aren't to our three girls that we have on this earth, but what we have done is made the decision, like David, to dwell in God's house, not just looking forward to it one day, but while we've been living. David didn't just say, I'm going to dwell there forever. He said in Psalm 27, verse 4, I will dwell in God's house all the days of my life. I'm going to live planted in God's house, Psalm 92, 13, because I want to flourish in the courts of our God. Many Christians miss out on some of the best parts of their Christian life because they live with the expectation of heaven one day going to God's house to live there forever, but they forego the opportunity to dwell in God's house while they live, to be planted in God's house. The church is an often thing. I'm here, there. I'm come on Christmas. I show up when it's convenient. I'm, I, I come sporadically. I come just to hear a good bless me message. But that's not being planted in God's house. That's not putting deep down roots and, and being connected, being sewn into the fabric of the body. That's not serving and spending and being spent for the sake of others being reached. But God has a heart for his house. I hope you know that. God, what do you care about? He's got a heart for his house. In the Old Testament, that meant his, his temple, where his people met with him. Flash forward to the New Testament, it's the household of faith. We are the house of God. Living stones being built up as a, as a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. You have God in you. I have God in me. But we're never more full of God than when we are together. There's something sacred, something special about the assembly. And as the day approaches, it becomes more vital, the Bible says, that we gather together as God's house. As we come together, God's he, You better believe he has a heart for his house. And David was a man after God's own heart because he had a heart for God's house. And we're never more like God than, we love his, than when we love his church, than when we're giving ourselves for it. 
Jesus Christ today, right now, what's he focused on? Building his church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, he gave his own blood to purchase a bride, to build a house, to, to, to form his church. And he expects us, with the salvation we have, to be as focused on building his church as he is. We should have a heart for his house. So my call to you in this next year is to, is to make the decision. If this is the soil, this is good soil, by the way. This is the soil God's called you to, to put down roots. Make, make the decision. We're going to be planted in God's house. None of this church shopping, church hopping, go here, felt needs, going there, consumer tendencies. Enough with that. Put down roots. Pick a team. Play some ball. Make some impact. Put your shoulder to the plow. Get something done. Maximum effort, same place, over time. And I'm so thankful. I want to tell you something. Having launched now one arrow out of our four that we have to launch to the quiver, and I can't shoot it any straight. I can't shoot it any more than I already have. We shot, we shot an arrow out. I'll tell you this. I am so thankful that in the five years that God gave us the honor of being Linya Avery's mom and dad on this earth, she was planted in God's house for each of those days. There's, there's a lot of questions Linya would ask me. That's you can clap for that. There's a lot of questions Linya would ask me. She asked a lot of questions of, of her mom and dad, and I'll tell you a question she never asked. Are we going to church this week? She knew we were going to church. We always went to church. Yeah, because you're a pastor. No, because I'm a Christian. I'm a part of God's house. We're planted in God's house. God gives us $10. The first dollar goes to Jesus. That's how we raised our kids. That's how we are raising them. So she had a Jesus jar. And you know what? I opened it. I went in the pantry weeping opening. It was empty. You want to know why? Or one of her nannies told us that when she was taken to Sunday school on the, the last Sunday before she went to heaven, she went up and individually put every single penny in the tithe box because of the money God gave her. She was giving the first and the best to Jesus. She knew Esther. She knew David. We loved the thought of her being with them because she read all about them. At church, her Sunday school teachers deposited those things into her heart. On family devotions, we read them to her. We, the night before she went to heaven, talked about Gabriel going to Joseph. I love that she's with Gabriel right now. We're bummed because she wasn't with us for Christmas. I guarantee you she had a better Christmas than we have here on this earth, being with Jesus in glory. I want to encourage you, from a dad with a daughter in heaven, make the decision to be planted in God's house. That's a, a foregone conclusion for your family looking forward. Because I, I would hate to think to look back and, and, and think, I wish I had brought my daughter to church every week. And I wish she had heard God's word. I wish she had, she had memorized scripture. I wish we had taught her tithing. I wish we had, we had shown her these things. And that's a decision that, that, that I believe God's calling you to make in this new year. Let 2013 be a year where you say, one thing, God, I have desired, that will I seek that I would dwell in God's house all the days of my life. And it would mark a spiritual, seamless transition when you're called to be in glory and dwell there forever. Now, I want to end by giving an invitation. You've heard this amazing message about the end of the world, and it's coming to bear upon you, and, and you're not guaranteed another moment. And that, that, that has never been more real to me or more pressing to me than, than it is right now. You know, we weren't given the gift of being told, you have six months to live. I mean, you think hearing that from a doctor would be quite like a death sentence, a curse. But that's a gift when you hear it. We weren't given that opportunity. Death came to us without notice and completely caught us off guard. And what if this was your last year on the earth? What if this was your last day on the earth? 
you know, the Mayan calendar, everyone was talking about the end of the world, December 21st. My daughter's life ended on December 20th. So it wasn't the end of the world that was the issue. It was the end of her life. If this was your last year, if this was your last week, are you ready to stand before God? Are you, our death is real. You're going to stand before him to be judged. And if you haven't given your heart to Jesus Christ, who I believe even now is knocking at the door of your heart, as you heard this message, he's been convicting some of you, drawing you to himself, and you only have this life to make a decision. Eternity is coming to bear upon you. And Christ has paid your bill at the cross, and he rose from the dead, defeating death. He's willing to give you the free gift of eternal life, but you have to accept that and believe in him to receive that life and to become sons and daughters of God. That's an invitation that, that we want to give you. My daughter, Linya, loved inviting people to church. We would invite people to school church events and fresh life services. And when um, we went through her purses, the purse that my wife said of her many purses, she had with her the last, The last three days, she was carrying this one purse around that we found out later was Livy's and but whole other story. Four girls, a lot of drama. I love being a daddy to girls. Don't you ever ask me. You're going to try for a boy? You want a boy? I love being a daddy to little girls. And um, we opened her purse up. We found a Bible in it and an invitation to our Fresh Life Christmas Eve worship. And I'm so glad we found that um, when we were in the hospital parking lot and we were leaving where she had been declared dead. It's hard to leave her body there. My wife in the car turned to me and said, you need to go back in the ER and invite all those people to church because Linya would have wanted you to. She would call us out if we forgot to at a checkout, didn't give an invitation, Dad. So I went back in the ER with a handful of Fresh Life Christmas invites and I walked up to the nurses and doctors and the receptionists in the ER, and I said, my little girl is in heaven whose body is right here, and she would want me to invite you to church. We're having outreach on Christmas Eve, and we would love to have you come and take this invitation. We, we received word back that the nurse who was in there that day, she not only came, but came and gave her life to Christ and experienced salvation. And then... Two paramedics came, and they wanted us to know we came in tribute to your daughter, but ended up raising their hands and giving their hearts to Jesus Christ as well. And as the story's gone out and the videos on the Internet, we've, we've received back word from the tens of thousands who have watched these clips and videos of her life that, that we've so many kids and parents I'm going to start reading my kids the Bible, kids I'm, who get prayed to receive Jesus and, and just amazing things. And, and what I would say is this, is, is that nothing would uh, make me happier than, than in any of this than just to know that, that some who don't know Jesus are giving their hearts to Christ, touched and, and, and pressed upon by the reality of mortality. So I want to give this invitation. Could we bow our heads and close our eyes? God, we thank you for your love, your gospel, which is true, Christ's death, which is significant, God, for every one of us because you paid our bill. You died in our place. I thank you, and I want to thank you publicly for the Lori family and how all the grief that they've gone through, God, you've used their suffering to comfort our hearts, that what they walked through, and we walked with them through, God, and, and they're still walking through. They've been willing to open up and go there 
and be of such great comfort to, to Jenny and I and the girls, and we're so thankful for them and their love. And we thank you for every person listening to this message, God, in Riverside and in Orange County, on the web, so many listening and, and going to hear this later. And, and I just thank you that right now, whoever they are, wherever they are, you love them and care for them and died for their sins. And they are just one prayer, one faith that being placed away from having their entire life changed and their death changed. And I pray for this, this amazing group of people, God, that they would not just, as Christians, dwell in your house forever, but all the days of their lives. Would you say this to God? Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. And I turn from my sin. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe he rose from the dead. Please come into my heart. Please come into my heart. Forgive me. And forgive me. Help me to walk with you. Help me to walk with you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 God Amen. bless every one of you, and God bless you, Harvest. Love you guys. Amen. What a powerful legacy of this young man who, incidentally, his father is a pastor also, so he's able to cultivate this reality in his heart and his life, and he's able to stand strong in the midst of the most incredible uh, crisis that could face any person. Um, but he's standing on the rock, and the wind and the waves can blow, but he's unmoved, unfazed, and glorifying his God. Um, we talked about Saturday morning and Saturday morning prayer. Uh, incredible turnout for the first Saturday as our Isaiah fast. There must have been 150 of us here. And uh, we were talking about how Thanksgiving is that which allows you to take your, back, your life back from Satan and from bitterness and from resentment, uh, resentment giving thanks to God in all things. Uh, Greg Laurie, the pastor of this church that introduced Levi Lusco, lost his 15-year-old son. Uh, I don't know if he was 15, 16, or 17, one of those three ages. And uh, he lost him to a car accident in the middle of lifespan. And for some of us, we have this scenario that we're never going to be hit with that, that reality. But let me tell you something. Uh, there's a date and a time where we're going to have to say goodbye. And either you had uh, walked in the purpose of God and you've opened your ears, your heart, your life, and you were known as a person who loved God, loved God's house, loved God's people, lived for God, or you are checked out and it'll be a question the rest of the remaining of your life. But even Greg Laurie losing his son, um, in the midst of that darkness, these men shine like true stars in, in our generation. And uh, that's what God wants for us. Um, uh, there's nothing worse than seeing a Christian with a downcast face. That means your countenance is depressed, it's upset, it's going down, and then you call yourself a Christian? Um, no, no. A Christian rejoices even in the midst of the worst of trials. James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Count it all joy when you enter into these various, when you fall into various trials. Because we know that God is doing a perfect work, and, uh, and we trust his hand. Uh, I don't know if you trust God. I trust God fully. And, um, and you're waiting upon God is, is being able to, to see these things play out. When we lost our, our pastor friend, Leo Gossage, I told Molly, I said, Molly, this is not the end of the story. There's a purpose behind this, this circumstance, and we're going to see this 
in a powerful way. So I wanted to bless you with that. I want you to be able to allow that to occasion you to not play around with God, not to play around with your relationship with God. Uh, I represented a young man in court one day, and uh, we were before the judge, and there was a splitting of assets because his father had died that very week, and uh, the young man was about 21 years old, and he was so bitter and so frustrated. And uh, when the judge reprimanded him because of his character and his attitude and his conduct, he said these words, I never got to tell my dad that I loved him. He, He just left. And so don't let the devil play with you like that. You be the light, and you make the difference, and you go to tell the people that are in your life that you love them and that they're precious to you. Don't let Satan's circumstance, resentment, and bitterness steal from you the legacy of a lifetime of blessing because you won't be able to later on fix those things. Today is the day. I believe God allowed this video so that you can do something about things in your life. Don't leave it undone. Make sure that your relationships with those people God has given you is repaired, restored, refreshed, and take it back from Satan. Get really upset at the devil. Say, devil, you're not going to ruin my life, my family, my relationships. I'm going to stand in the name of Jesus and repair that so that I can pull out my banner of victory in the day to come when anything happens. Uh, About four years ago, we had a sister here in the church. Uh, We were meeting on a, a Friday night. And we said, give all your relationships to God. Give everything you have to God. Transfer everything you are into the hands of a faithful God. That way, when anything happens, what do you say? Thank you, Lord. This is in your hands. I trust you. And and whatever happens. And could you believe, three days later, we're watching the Super Bowl. It was the second quarter. She receives a phone call that her mother had just passed away in a car accident. Surreal. You never expect that phone call. You never think it's you that's going to receive it. But you know what she was able to do? She was able to thank the Lord. Because on Friday night, she had given everything, her closest relationships to God. And so in the midst of the crisis, she had total peace. Amen? And that's what the Lord wants for you to have is total peace. And the lack of peace is what this world has. Uh, The Bible says that the wicked have no peace. They're full of anxiety, resentment, bitterness, but you can lay it at the feet of the cross. Let's get into the word here. We have very limited. I mean, it seems like every time I get into a word, I have less and less time. Somebody's doing this on me, and, but I'm going to be faithful and, and give you the word from the Lord for today. And, uh, and, and you consider it precious. Consider what God is going to give you because God will always equip you for the coming days. And he told Noah, build an ark because there's a flood coming. God will speak to you on a timely basis. You don't want to ignore God and to act like it's not you he's talking to. You want to listen because down the road uh, you're going to need his word as a lamp unto your feet and uh, a light unto your path and as a sword of the spirit sharpened uh, to overcome the devil. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in the house of God. Uh, What you say in your word is true. As we abide in your presence, we are transformed from glory to glory. Even as unto the image of Christ, we walk in this world and your peace governs our soul and guards our heart and mind so that we might serve you with excellence. Make us the head and not the tail. Give us wisdom to overcome in this world everything that's corrupt, everything that is twisted, everything that's perverted, Lord. Every grip of Satan through his lies, his rebellion, his disobedience, his darkness, Lord. Let it not... Come over us. 
Let it not be part of our lives, Lord, and that we might be fruitful as we are, like Levi Lusco said, planted in your house uh, and, and flourishing in the courts of our God. Prosper your word in our hearts this morning as it is delivered. And we believe it is the good seed planted in good hearts that will give forth good fruit that will glorify you all the days of our life. And prosper this word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now the crisis of worship has to do with relationship. A lot of people cannot worship because they have relational issues. And I've called this message a world-changing relational prodigal. People that cannot relate. The word comes from communicate. They cannot transfer over blessing. Uh, The inability to have a relationship in any category is a travesty for man. And so we ruin the best of our relationships. Our relationships with our husbands, our wives, our children, our brothers and sisters. Our relationship with God, our relationship with man, our relationship in the church with the brethren. Uh, I've seen, I've sat there at the door of this church seeing people come into the church and seeing the greetings of some of the sisters. And, and this is the greeting. Ready? Oh, your hair looks horrible. And I'm sitting there wondering. I said, what are they trying to do? What type of a greeting is that which you offend at the onset of the hello? Or, you know, um, uh, what, what happened to you? you? You look terrible. And so these greetings are not formidable to um, foster good relationships. Um, the, the words spoken by a husband towards his wife, uh, vice versa, the words spoken from a wife to a husband, all these things are tainted with corruptible speech with things that instead of blessing, which is the expressions of good things coming out of the mouth, they're curses. And they, they come in and they taint the thought. And I'll tell you something, it's very difficult to have any type of relationship with a toxic person. You smile at them and they stare at you. You hug them and they push you away. You invite them and they don't show up. Uh, these people have severe problems. And, and you know what the problem is? That man has fallen from his design as God made him. Because we're supposed to be a refreshing. We're supposed to be an embrace. We're supposed to have the smile on our face. And this transformation is something that happens through the spirit of God. And you see the fruits of the spirit are love and peace and joy and patience and meekness and goodness. And all these things are the expression of the spirit of God. So if you can tell a person when he's filled with the spirit of God. He has joy that's inexpressible. He has enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm means entheos. That's where it comes from. You're in God. And when you're in God, man, you are the answer to the world's darkness. You're a light to the world. And so a lot of people will tell you that they won't enter into relationships um, because they don't believe in established uh, programs and and systems. And it's not that. It's not that they don't believe in established programs. Uh, systems, you'll see, I don't believe in established relationship. That's almost like saying, I don't believe in established family. You know, the family is established. Family is a place of refreshing. Family is a place of strength. Family, the Bible says, is a place of uplifting prosperity. I, uh, Psalm 68, verse 6, uh, the Lord says the plan he has for a selfish pr- prodigal that has relational problems is to set him in a family. The solitary the Lone Ranger, the, the guy who hangs out with Tonto, right? Tonto. Uh, the Zorro, the, the, the people who, who tend to not be able to procreate. 
and, and be fruitful in f- familial relationships. He brings these people out of their bondage into prosperity. He brings them into relationship that causes the expression of who they are to be at another level and, and controversy. Um, we're going to touch a little bit on the prodigal son since we're talking about prodigal relationships. He went far from the house. And so he looked like a hip dude because he was surrounded by many people as long as he had some type of provision. But when the provision ran out, um, so did the friends. So did those contacts. See, because they weren't family. They had no ties. They had no relationship. They were all festering selfishness and walking far away from the heart of the father. And so here it is. It says that uh, the rebel will always dwell in a dry land. Psalm 68 verse 6. It says the one attaches to family. It will be like bringing them out from from being tied up uh, into prosperity. But the rebellious... The ones that despise family, the ones that do not foster the relationships of family, they will dwell in a dry land. I don't know what that experience is because ever since I experienced the thing that put my family back together, I want more of that. And it's kept our family together. Um, If you've ever been to my house, if you've ever been around my family, we are conscious of the fact that we don't offend. We don't tell each other things that hurt. We're not into taking, depriving. And so all these things are a contextual reality of those that want to stop prodigal living. And there's a time for that. When you, when you end up eating with a bunch of pigs and when you've lost everything and you're in a dwelling, a dry land where there is no root. It doesn't take root. Um, there's no fruit. And, and your selfishness has dried you and everything around you up. Uh, the expression is Haiti. Haiti has turned away from the living God. They have begun to worship uh, the devil. They have covenants with Satan. You know Satan hates family. How many know that? He wants to destroy it. He, he can't stand a father-son relationship or a brother-sister relationship. Everything that's an abomination to God, the devil likes and rejoices and fosters. And this fragmented family uh, is led uh, by the selfishness in the heart of God. And I, I can tell you that that's there, but it wasn't placed there by God. And I can tell you that Satan, he is the, he is the author of selfishness. He walks in pride. He walks indifferently to the needs of others. He's a taker and not a giver. Our God is a great giver. And, and so we walk in that mindset. And God is restoring our relationships. How many has God truly, you can testify, that your relationships have been restored since you met Jesus Christ? Since the Spirit of God is upon you, there's peace, there's joy, there's an expectation of His goodness in your life. And and, uh, we're walking towards that. We're walking in that reality. Um, And and, and so a lot of people say, I love God. Uh, God says, look, if you say you love me and you can't stand the person next to you, you don't know me. You're a liar. If you're not a blessing to the person that's next to you, you have not known God. Because God is love. In John 13, 35, he says these words. He says, they will know that you are one of mine because you have love for one another. Some people say, um, you know, like, like Levi Lusco said, did he ever have to tell his daughter, let's go to church? No. Have I ha- ever had to tell my children, let's go to church? No. They love church. They love God's people. They love the relationships, and you know, sometimes I say, okay, we're going to have to build some beds in here because you guys want to stay. They want to stay in this reality. A lot of our children, um, you know, you, you can't keep them from church. And, um, 
and I, I saw one of, the, one of the things that I saw really incredible was a five-year-old little girl named Nicole Palma as she sat her mother and father because they weren't able to get to church on time one morning. And so she sat her two parents down. Imagine a five-year-old little girl says, hey, dad, let me ask you a question. Do you get late to, jo- to your work in the morning? Five-year-old little girl, do you get late to work in the morning? And he's like, no. And he goes, well, then you can't get late to church either. You can't be late to the house of God. Five-year-old little girl. And you know what? She has the sentiment of knowing that it is a pleasurable thing to walk in. I want to, I want to say this, this, this concept of relational prodigal. Relational prodigal. It, it is something that, that many of us can worship. Um, we are spiritual worshiping machines, but many times we miss out on the relationships. If we go to uh, Genesis chapter 4, you'll see it happen there amongst uh, Cain and Abel, the first two boys that are sitting there. One of them is able to bring the best of the sheep that he is uh, shepherding. He's, he's bringing to God what God wants. And it says there in, in verse 2, um, Eve bore again this time his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain, his older brother, was a tiller of land. And in the process of time, verse 3, as time passed, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flocks and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's offering and did not respect Cain's offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. I want to suggest that one of them had a relationship with God and was bringing to God what God had requested. Something that was of God's Showing forth that it was God that was doing this. Um, Abel was saying, Lord, everything in my life reflects your goodness. And Cain was bringing the fruits of his labor. And he was bringing the offspring of the ground. And he was saying, Lord, look at me. Look, look what I'm able to produce. And I offer it to you. And the Lord is saying, mm, I don't think so. I'm not into this with what you can do. I'm not into this with your capacity, your ability. Um, You know something? Those are religious systems. We can sit before God and tell him everything we've done. Or we can enter into relationship with God and uh, notice and recognize what God has done. And I'm going to tell you something, that that's the secret of true worship. When Paul says, I used to do all these things because I was a religious hulk. And all that is garbage. Until I knelt down and I started recognizing what God had done. And when I start recognizing what God has done, guess what? I'm a bond slave to the Lord. I belong to God. And he says in Romans chapter 12, he says, My only logical service to God is living for Him as a living sacrifice. I'm not going to think no more like the world. I'm not into this for what I could get out of it or what I can do. I have been totally acquired. The acquisition is that God played his highest price. I belong to him not to do what I want, but to do what he wants, to do his pleasure. Let's go to Romans 12 real quick. And it says there in verse 1, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by what God has done because of his mercies, That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
wholly acceptable to God, which is your only reasonable service. Since he gave it all, we belong all to him. In verse 2 it says, do not be conformed to this world. Get your stinking thinking out of it because it's not on the basis of what you feel comfortable with, what you like, what you prefer, what you want. None of that stuff is in the interest of God. Be transformed. Renew your thoughts so that you might be able to know what is good, perfect, and acceptable to God. What are the things that please God? That's what you're to give Him. Not with the things that are, oh, Lord, look at this. I'm giving up a whole Sunday morning to come and worship you. Oh, no. We belong to him wholly, entirely for his purpose. And so verse 3 says like this. It says, for I say to you, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself as having done anything. Not to think highly of what you're impressing God. He ought to think. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God has, has, has a plan with each one of you. Um, I'm going to say it one more time. Relational presence with God. Not religious. We could, we could get into a lot of religious systems. We could get into a lot of religious practice. Um, this is the most powerful verse in the whole Old Testament, Psalm 40, verse 6, where David comes and stands at church and sees everybody doing all the religious acts. And he says, Lord, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. Well, who had asked for offerings and sacrifices? Who had established that as the law? Burnt offerings and sins you did not require. But you have opened up my ears. You want a relationship with me. You don't want a religious practice. Let me ask you a question. Um, and I tell the people all the time, they, they prefer to enter into religious acts. And I say, listen, what is God telling you to do? What do you hear from God? And that fixes the whole thing. Because as soon as we start doing what God wants, then out with religion. I'm going to do what God wants. Uh, this year, instead of uh, doing the Daniel fast, we're doing the Isaiah fast. How did that happen? Well, we decided we're not just going to continue every year doing something religiously because we're the religious people. We're going to continue to bow our knees before God's presence and say, Lord, what do you want? And he says, this year, we're going to go with Isaiah fast. We're going to go Isaiah 58. And guess what? When you listen to God, I'm going to tell you, it's only been a week. The fruitfulness has been through the roof. It's been super exciting to see when we listen to God, what are the fruits? And, and that's, I, I can't be religious. I, I cannot be religious. I, I'm, I'm the first one out the door when it comes to religious. But if God has opened, unplugged my ears, and I'm able to hear him, Lord, how do you want me to treat my mom? How do you want me to treat my dad? How do you want me to treat this world? How do you want me to participate in family? How do you want me to be a husband? How do you want me to be a wife? How do you want me to be a mom? The, the, the ear is opened up to listen to the Spirit of God and not be religious. No, I'm just going to go down the street and I'm going to continue to be disconnected relationally, be in a place where I know nobody, be in a place where nobody knows me. I'm not counting on nobody. Nobody's counting on me and I'm worshiping Jesus. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. I believe those are the people God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But Lord, I preached in your name. I healed the sick and I went to church. He goes, yeah, but your ears weren't open to listen to me. 
You never walked in my instruction. Let's go ahead and, and see that in Matthew chapter 23. These guys were the experts of religious affairs. And he says, what sorrow awaits you that think you're the all-knowing experts in religious affairs. Those of you that have it all figured out. You know what you do as soon as you leave the house of God? You get in your car and you start arguing with that word. Instead of shouting amen and God is good because he spoke to us, well, I think, well, I believe, and you start messing with the word of God. You're a religious expert. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religion? You Pharisees are a bunch of hypocrites. You're shutting the door of heaven in people's faces. You shut the kingdom of heaven. If people were to follow what you do, they would never come to heaven. You're a religious expert. You have it all figured out, leading a whole bunch of people to hell because you refuse to enter in the heart of God. You neither go in yourself, nor does anyone that follows you is allowed to go in either. You don't want to go into a relationship. You want to stay in religion. You don't want to go into personal intimacy with God and responsibility. You're a relational prodigal. Woe to you. All your religious exercise is a bunch of stumbling. Mark chapter 12 verse 33. This is what God um, is asking for. To love him with all your heart. With the, as much as you could understand him to love him. With all your soul. With all your strength. To love your neighbor as oneself is more than all the religious exercises you can do. Do you know anybody like this? They could do a lot of things religiously and ecclesiastically and ceremonially and, and traditionally and theologically. They have it all, but they can't stand anyone and no one could stand them. That's, that's a horrific scenario. Your relationship with God should make your relationship with your wife the best relationship on the earth. I have such an amazing time with my wife. It's not even funny. Such an amazing time. You know why? Because the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Because we're not into this for religion. And, and so the same way with our children. We have an amazing time with our children. We have incredible fellowship in that regards. And these men of God were able to understand this. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, the first king is taken away from the kingdom. Samuel has to come and tell him, guess what, brother? God has broken ties off with you. You don't represent him no more because you thought it was about burnt offerings and sacrifices. But God is about you obeying him. And I challenge you to open your ears and hear what God would have you do. Let him have your schedule. Let him have your time. Let him have your treasure. Let him have your priorities. As Does he delight in your religious practice as much as obeying his voice? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to not only listen, but to put into practice is better than anything you do in the religious field. Anything. And so we're transferring ourselves from being relational prodigals um, to, to fixing and repairing this. And, and I want to show you this, this Pharisee in Genesis, I mean, I'm on Luke 18, 9. He shows up to the church and he says, the two men showed up at the church. And one of them said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like these other people. Thank you, Lord, that I fast twice a week. Thank you, Lord, that I tithe. Thank you, Lord, that I don't drop the ball in my religious practice. 
I'm not like this heathen. And he points to the guy next to him. Two men went up to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a sinner tax collector. The Pharisee stood. He doesn't bow down. He's not serving. He's serving himself. And he prayed, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like the other men. I don't go around sinning. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. Or even as this loser that's right next to me that thinks that he needs you. Um, people tell me that all the time. Joaquin, you use God as a crutch. I said, no, I use him as a wheelchair. I need God. I need all of God, not just a little bit. And so verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. I tithe all that I possess. I don't miss it. And the tax collector standing far off would not so much even to raise his eyes to heaven. And he would beat his chest saying, God, I need your mercy. I need what you can do because I need all the help I can get. And Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you that the man who went down to his house with the peace and the connection and the relationship was this man rather than the other. For everyone who lifts himself up will be humbled. I don't, I don't understand people wanting to be humbled, but I guarantee you that, that how low can you go? How, how can you really set yourself in a position to be exalted by God? And I want to tell you that relationally, God wants to lift us up. Now, we're going to finish with Luke chapter 15. Where you know the story is the prodigal son. And there's three characters in this story. There is the father. There is the son who says, give me my inheritance. I'm going to do my own thing. I want to challenge you that everything that Christ gives you is not for you to do what you want. It's not to pick up an inheritance and then to do like he did. The Bible says he moved to a faraway land. Whenever you're moving away from family, you're moving away from the heart of God. Amen? In Luke 15 and in verse um, 13, it says, Not many days after the young son had gathered all together, he journeyed to a far country and he wasted his possession with prodigal living. Uh, that's called mismanagement. And when you're not in relationship, that's what you're into. You're into mismanagement. You're hanging out with the wrong people at the wrong time, at the wrong place. You're going to end up in the wrong result. That's, that's the problem with prodigal relations. Um, I want to uh, just advise you that God cares about who you hang out with. How many say amen? amen? There's people that build you up in your holy faith and in your relationship with God. And there's people that tear you down. And the people that tear you down and make you an indifference and, and, and deprive from you, those people um, we call uh, parasites. They don't have a life of their own. They're not connected to the Lord. It's our connection with the Lord that allows us to flourish. Our disconnect with the Lord allows us to dry up and become desolate. And so here he went to a faraway place. Verse 14 says, when he had spent all that he had been given. That's what prodigal mismanagement does. You're going to be poverty stricken and poor. A severe famine came into the land. And it says he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself with the citizens of that country, and they sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. You join yourself to the world. They're not going to tell you anything you're learning in the house of God. How many say amen? You're not going to hear this wisdom. You're not going to hear the wisdom of the Spirit of God. The Word of God that's opened up is not going to be given to you in that place. And there, he lost everything. And there is when he says, let me get back home. Verse 18, I will arise and go back to my father's house. That's what it means, family. Uh, the definition for family is where the father is, where, uh, where there's provision. I will say to my father, I'm sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. And he went back. As soon as he got back, the father saw him from far off and came running, having compassion, fell on his neck and kissed him. Uh, the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I disobeyed God. I'm no longer worthy to have the results of listening to God. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. We talked about this on Wednesday. If you need a copy of that sermon, make sure you get it. Uh, World-changing righteousness as God covers us in, in incredible expressions of adornment. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring out the fat calf. Kill it. Let us eat. Let's celebrate. My son, who was dead, indifference, now he's alive again. He who was lost is found, and they began to celebrate. And so I want to encourage you today, um, God's goodness again, throwing you a lifeline. Can we stand this morning and say, Lord, enough with my prodigal relationship. The expressions we have with a relationship with God is the, that which we share with those that are around us. And it's a refreshing reality. It's an exchange of thoughts, words, and actions according to the heart of God. Um, this is building us up. Uh, I want to tell you that, that, that the Lord wants us to create a culture of not prodigal relationships, but healed relationships. And, and you could start with God this morning. And you could say, Lord, get all the selfishness out of me. I want to visit the cross again. I want to crucify my flesh, my desires, my words. It's not being beneficial as I walk uh, as a Satan person. A Satan person, watch. Uh, I will ascend. I will place my throne above the throne of God. I will take what God, I will, I will, I will. And, and this I will pride scenario is just going to destroy you further. And so you can transfer today and say, Lord, will you, will you transform me that I might take on the likeness of Christ, the likeness of, of unselfishness. Uh, philosophers have had the opportunity to come to Christ, but they've held on to their philosophy. I want to tell you, they're straight in the pit of hell with all their reasoning and with all their intelligence. They reasoned out the truth of God. Don't do that. Repent. Don't reason. Tell God, Lord, I want to turn. I want to head for home. I want to turn my heart to the Father. I want the Father to say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to hear the voice of my Father. Open my ears. Remove me from religion and bring me into relationship. And bring me into the relationship with your people, with those who love you and serve you the most. With those that are laying down their lives and turning away from the world and walking towards your purpose for their lives. Father, I pray this morning that your word would sink into the hearts of your people and that you would heal the relational prodigals, those whose heart were far from home, those who reasoned that the farther they got from home, the better off they were, those who reasoned that they could break off the relationship with their brother and with their father and with their household and the, the work like Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. Father, I pray that this word would have been imparted to your people and transferred. And that they might come into right relationship with you. Not like Cain, whose countenance was fallen because he thought he was exercising religious 
religious relationship instead of being righteous and well before you. The blood of Jesus wash us and cleanse us and transform us through his presence and through his spirit. And I rebuke Satan and all his thoughts and all his works upon our lives that we might serve God with gladness to our last living breath upon the face of the earth, O oh God. And we exalt you and worship you forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says amen. Amen and amen. I did not, I did not announce this last Sunday, but remember, we're going to not fail to be in the house of the Lord.